Welcome to episode 9 of the Comedy Defect Podcast. My name's Winter Fonander, I'm the host of the show, I'm a comedian, I'm trying to get the comedy life balance back in order. Over the last 5 or 6 years, it's been out of whack big time. So I had my first class of Shotokan Karate in about maybe 3 or 4 years, it was great, I really enjoyed it. But after the class, one of the other students came up to me, and he said, were you in Halfords recently? I said, I was in Halfords. And I was remembering back when the last time I was in Halfords, I had a fat tyre on my car and I couldn't take the wheel off because I didn't have the nut. It was a second-hand car, so I didn't have all the bits. I couldn't get the nut off, so I went to... <laughs> no pun intended. I couldn't get the wheel off, basically. But I went to Halfords trying to find a socket for this particular wheel. Halfords didn't have it, but I had to go back twice that day. I had to walk there a mile and a half because my car was in the shop. They didn't have anything. And on the third time of going in there, I, I was on the edge. I was like Michael Douglas in falling down, about to just lose my mind. The guy that was in this karate class was looking for the keys to this cabinet for the tool that I needed to take the wheel off, but he couldn't find the keys. And this is on the third time me going to Alfred's. So I was on the edge. So you got to really be careful. you got to really check your emotions sometimes because you leave a lasting impression. And that is always going to be your first impression. <laughs> I thought it was funny that the guy remembered how angry I must have looked at that moment when I just, I just couldn't do anything. I was just filled with impotent rage. You never have a second chance to make a first impression, but he certainly remembered me. <laughs> this episode was with a very good friend of mine, the character actor, Mr. Fred Ferenzi. I've had many a great conversation with Fred on the way home in the car. This is just one of those conversations. Now, we go really deep into the psychology of comedy. We went so deep that it became a little bit too personal for me, and I wasn't sure if I was going to release some of the segments of this podcast. But I thought, hey, look, I'm just going to let it be what it is. So here it is in its entirety. Now, if you want to donate to the podcast, you can find us on Patreon. Just go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast, and donate as little or as much as you want. But if you can't kick back something to us, just leave us a nice review on Podbean or iTunes, because it really helps. I don't want to talk for too much longer, because this is a great episode. Really go deep with it, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. This is the amazing character act, Fred Ferenzi. So how are you doing, Fred? You alright? Oh yeah, I'm great. Really, really great. Suicidal, but... Suicidal. Okay, yeah. well, yeah, so let's, well, we'll start early then. Yeah. <laughs> let's have a, a counselling session. So how do you feel today then? No, no, no. Just a bit um, shell-shocked about the referendum, but uh, I think a lot of people are really, so... How did you vote? Did you vote in or out? I, vote, I voted uh, Remain, mm. uh, but I think a lot of people that voted Leave are probably very upset as well, because I think they feel they've been misled. Anyway, yeah. it's a dangerous area, isn't it? It's done now, isn't it? There's yeah. not really much. We can, we can always, uh, you know, argue the toss, really, but, I mean, on the way into uh, Aylesbury, all this, the vote Leave are still, the, all the posters are still up and stuff as well, aren't they? Yeah, well, probably for the next mm. referendum. I think this could be another one. Well, it could be, couldn't they? Well, yeah, maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not very funny, is it? It's not funny yet. No. <laughs> it doesn't have to be, though. No, no. I did, I did a podcast for someone else who, who shall remain nameless and mm. never broadcast it. So that augurs well for this, doesn't it? Oh, it's funny then. Oh, you were funny then? I think and it was they too did funny. Did he even broadcast it? No, I think it was too funny. So that's why I'm not being funny now. You're just trying to balance it out. Yeah. It's, that's important. Yeah, so exactly. You, you know, you need to just even it off, you know? And then if you don't broadcast this, it's be because... There was no humour in it. So, so what happened if we did another one? Would you then be funny again? Is it just be like... To no, yeah, I can only see it's, it's a sort of bipolar tendency. Right. How about we do two hours? Yeah. <laughs> the first hour can Fine. be like totally not Fine. funny. And the second hour can, can, uh, can you know, we'll really salvage something. We'll like a phoenix rising from the ashes kind of thing, yeah? And then the third hour you'll stay here and help me 
Do the house. Do the house. Oh, well, that, are you going to come around to my house then as well? Okay. That'd be good. Been gigging recently or anything? Did Hastings Comedy Festival mm. weekend. How South was that? Around. Well, it's their first first run at a festival and um, they put in a lot of hard work and um, I would say it was successful. It's, it's got great potential for the future. Mm. Loads of energy. Beautiful um, set in the old town. Uh, good venues. There are issues, but then, you know... When you start out on this thing, you, you, you learn the hard way, you know, and um, I'm offering some points for them. It was good. I, I was sort of ostensibly going to do a one-man show, and it really was never going to be a one-man show because it's got three people in it. Mm. But it was a sort of first step towards doing that, although I don't think I ever will, really. I don't think people could abide, you know, even sort of 40 minutes of Fred undiluted. So I always think there'd be a guest and an MC because you need the contrast with a... Unless you're a brilliant anti-comedian like Ed Axel. Or just preface your uh, your your character that you do, Fred Forenzi. What, yeah. what is it exactly he does? He's basically a shit magnet. Right. He's basically the nut on the bus. I mean, he's he's harmless, but he's he, he's a bit sort of... You, you wouldn't want to sit next to him. You certainly wouldn't want to go out for a drink with him. And he should never be within 100 miles of a, of a, of a stand-up mic... Right. basically that's that's Fred and of course the difficulty with that is that it requires you to be good at doing it else it instead of being as if you're a shit comedian you come across as a shit comedian and then you actually do become one because you depend on um, the audience going with it mm. and you, you you depend on you having a lot of energy mm. which is which is the, the paradox of mm-hmm. a low energy act you, you can't do it when you're Tired, hungry, and hungover. I've tried many times, <laughs> and and drunk it doesn't work. Mm. Uh, you've got to put a lot of, you've got to be really up for it to to be able to sustain it. So that's Fred, really, mm. sort of imposing the the character or will of the character on the audience, sort yeah, of thing, without yeah. um, appearing not to. Absolutely. So they can susp- suspend disbelief and mm. and go with it. Mm-hmm. Also, go with the irony of it really mm-hmm. the, you know it's um if, if if you've got a sort of audience collectively they've kind of got an irony um bypass you know maybe because they're very tired and hot and drunk they, they, they it, it, it's nearly impossible to to, to go with it mm-hmm. um also you need <laughs> ideally you need it's not always the case actually it can it can mm-hmm. work with small audiences but by and large if you've got a bigger audience then for an act that's going to be a bit marmite Mm-hmm. You can have a critical mass of people there that get it. Mm-hmm. And, and if you've got two or three people that really get it, are crying, I don't know if laughter or despair, but it sort of takes the rest with them. And so if you've got sort of 60% of the room, then the rest will go with it. You can be derailed by, well, you know, you probably can't if you're if you're a better stand-up than me, but um, you can deal with it. But you can, you can be derailed by a real hater because mm-hmm. it, does, it does tread a fine line, really. It does draw on some sort of rather difficult... Stuff it, it can evoke some some very strong feelings, and you know you can get people that don't like what I do because I reference sort of emotional stroke, mental health problems. Really, mm-hmm. it all comes from a place inside of me. You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not taking the piss, but I can understand when people think, "Oh, he's someone taking the piss out of people that have got you know particular problems." Mm. Although, and I'm waffling on, and I'm going to have to have a breath in a minute, <laughs> that's better. Um, I've found that people that, like, people that work with people with, say, 
special needs or work with people with mental health problems, and I've had a lot of them, had one on Saturday come up to me mm-hmm. and said how much she liked it. And, um, you know, that, that means a huge amount to me. And, I, and I've had this a lot. Strangely enough, it's, you know, audiences have got it that I'm actually referencing something inside myself and I'm not taking a piss. It's a very sympathetic character and he's not threatening. Mm-hmm. It's people that perhaps have known someone that got similar problems to what I've had in the past and you can understand if, if they interpret it in a different way. It's kind of like you're pulling out that emotion, that one part of yourself, and you're sort of magnifying it, isn't it? So it becomes very... Yes. It's, you're very sensitive to that, that character on stage. It could be derailed very easily because that is part of you. I mean, even with doing straight stand-up, that is part of you. There your jokes, but you're hiding behind jokes. Yeah. Whereas if you're doing a character that is actually part of you and you're you're you're, you're fully connected with it, yeah. it's way more risky. If you like, definitely, you risk self an awful lot more. Um, if someone is really going to hate it, or and because it, it, it can derail, right? You can't really go to another joke no. uh, or another uh, another through line which is part of the character because part of you, isn't it? Showing yeah. the the raw you, the inside of you different emotions when you take them on stage as a, as a character or, say, part of you, which everyone assumes is a, is a persona, yeah. which is also another form of character, I guess. But yeah. but when you do a, a low-energy act and a high-energy act, the stakes are exactly the same because you need that energy to give the thing momentum yeah. and then you can get derailed so easily and the tipping over thing causes the audience to hate you anyway if you go beyond their threshold of of understanding so when you see like a low energy act mr mr mark or or get derailed they'll the illusion is broken isn't mm, it and then yeah. we 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 really struggle then from that point on because then the end of your set you're limping towards the end of the set because the, the the magic is gone and they can they, they're seeing that it's real mm. and they go oh god we don't really like this real thing this is actually this is a real this is actually part of them rather than rather than the show mm. it's, it's difficult one to ride the, the edge of, if it's if you get tripped up whereas with like a, a natural stand-up you can just okay well i've got you don't like that joke i've got this other thing here for you let's just you know sit back and relax mm. um, you have to really ride the horse to the end of the, the line really no matter if it's going to a wall or not it's or off a cliff so how long have you been doing the character then i'm afraid well um i've been doing stand-up for five years Almost to the day, because um, I did it through the Tringe Comedy Festival, and they did a free training course, very kindly provided, um, training provided by Logan Murray, mm. who's a bit of a comedy god, mm. and I'm a bit in love with him, really, speaking to him this morning, and um, I think I woke him up. Anyway. You're not the first person to say that. He's more of a friend rather than a uh, mentor. You know, yeah. uh, Logan, can you fix this for me? Yeah, sure, he'll come around today later. I was talking to Peter Ford, and he was saying yeah. exactly the same thing. Yeah. So the character developed. Um, when I first started, because I'm a man of a certain age, I thought I kind of had to do things like um, about my imaginary wife. I've got a real wife, but an imaginary <laughs> wife. Uh, things like sexual dysfunction, things about being... The age I was then, my mid fifties, and unless you're really, really good at it, and like Peter Ford, who you just mentioned, mm. is extremely good at doing an older man act. Well, he is an older yeah. man, <laughs> nearly seventy. Yeah, and his stuff about little old ladies, mm. and he has made it his own. But unless you're really, really good at that, and I'm sure there are people on the circuit that do it brilliantly, mm-hmm. and doing cruise ships and things, you know. Uh, I, I don't think it was that good, really, and 
I kind of, I don't know where Fred developed from that really, um, to be honest. No, and I can't say when, but it was about a year into it really, and I, I can't really remember. But I think it probably comes from a more authentic place, which mm. sounds a bit poncy. No, no, it's a, it's, it's a truthful place, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and audiences, see, audiences are extraordinarily clever. The, the kind of psychodynamics of of the sort of collective mind, you know, mm. they kind of know things that they don't know, and mm. they know it doesn't matter whether it's you know what, whatever type of stand-up you are, they they can sniff out authenticity and they can mm. sniff out fake. So if you've got someone that is a brilliant, a brilliant actor doing a brilliant, brilliant act and doing all the things and saying all the things that stand-up do, mm-hmm. well, I suppose they can be very, very successful, but. I'm not so sure about that. I think audiences know. Anyway, it sort of developed from that, really, and, I, and, I, and I've discovered... I've done a couple of clowning courses, and I've discovered over time that, although I, you know, I find the writing side really, really important, and I've really honed my material, really worked on it, the, the, the performance side of it has become very important. Mm-hmm. That's why I did Logan's course for the second time. I did exactly the same course about... 10 months later because mm. my performance was really really poor and over time the performance has really become a huge part of it the shambolic nature the slightly I hate the word surreal but you know there's mm. things that Fred does like get plastic forks out of his pocket halfway through a, a quote joke mm. which really kind of upsets the joke timing you know the whole dynamics of it because mm. it's a distraction and puts it in his other pocket and that that does or does not, depending mm. on whether the audience is going with it, get, can get a huge laugh. And I don't know why, because people say, well, why do you do that? And I said, well, I have no idea. And why, why do you put string on your head and, you know, start putting the your jumper over the top of the mic so we can't hear you? Mm. Or tying your mm. shirt to the mic stand mm. or standing at an extremely awkward angle? Mm-hmm. You know, things like not looking at the audience. Well, I'm not looking at you, am I? I'm looking at the floor. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm basically... Oh, it's a terrible cliche, isn't it? Terrible. Well, I'm basically quite shy. I'm quite mm-hmm. introverted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't like audience interaction. Mm-hmm. I don't like mingling with audiences afterwards. And, and that sounds awful. But I find it... If I've done really badly, I want to curl up and die. Yeah. If I've done really well... I find people sort of praising me very difficult. Now, you know, I've been I've been through therapy for many, many years. I'm not at the moment. So I know what that's all about. So we don't need to go there. Mm. But I find, that's, I find that really difficult, which is odd. Mm. Um, but I know my own psychopathology inside out. Yeah. I find that all really difficult. But, and because it's such a, a high-risk act... Mm. And Ed Axel said this to me when I've had really bad experiences, mm. and they have been bad. Um, he said, if you're doing a high-risk act, you know, like we do, which is very yeah. complimentary to put him, me in his category, because he, yeah. he, he, he really is the best anti-comedian. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, the, the, the rewards are extraordinarily high in mm. personal satisfaction from that kind of performance, because mm-hmm. it is a performance, really. Yeah. But he said, when it goes wrong, it's going to go badly wrong. And, you know, I sometimes make this joke now, about, oh, I've got Samaritans on speed dial. And I, and I have, you know, gone back to my room after a bad gig, mm. a really bad gig, mm. and, and rang them up. You know, I'm not saying I've been suicidal, but I've been, I've been very upset. Mm. 
Not how many to panic attacks. It's, it's deeper, isn't it? It it's very cuts dang. deeper. It does cut deeper for sure. As I was telling you before, I'm experimenting with anger now, and I pace that that I go through it. Sometimes you don't even wait for the the laughter to come. You know it's going to come when you take a breath, <laughs> you know, or it, yeah. they're with you, and you don't get the reassurance from the okay, beat for laughter, beat for another laugh. And it's always like, okay, well, we're going to go through this, and hopefully when I take a breath, or take just a little break, they might be on board and they'll laugh. Otherwise, this is going to be a long 20 minutes, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Do you think that that's, the, the character came out of frustration with, as you said, seeing other acts do that observation stuff, or there's so many people doing that, it's going to be really hard to, to, re, to, to excel in that, that field. Yeah. Hey, look, let's just go inward. I mean, I found that the first couple of years... That when you we going through it, you're going because I saw you. I think when I first started, yeah, I started up again. I think that was in Veggie Box in Kent. That's it, Canterbury. Yeah, that's right. And <laughs> I knew you were wearing your suit jacket. I think I was probably wearing a suit jacket as well at the time. And I was going through some old stuff and I was like, trying to work it out. It wasn't wasn't great, but I was going through it. And it, I think that you realise you're just hitting a, a dead end. And if you don't progress in the first couple of years really quickly, you kind of go inward you just mm-hmm. go fully inward okay what what's going on in this my, my brain or emotionally and mm-hmm. and then you start pulling out what's inside and then <laughs> the horror hopefully the thing is you don't become so esoteric that people will never get you you know well this is this is the deep me this is who i am inside mm-hmm. but but the great thing is we're all similar i guess you know similar fears and, and, and insecurities and if you can find that one thread that can connect like like you did with the the low energy sort of schizophrenic act. Everyone is a little bit, I think, you know, a little bit kind of to very very varying degrees on the spectrum of of that. Of course, yeah. but you know, it's so it's just like being just being aware of it, isn't it? And just yeah. kind of highlighting or magnifying it to a greater or lesser degree. But but so you think that's where it came, the frustration? Yeah, right. I think whatever floats people's boats, you know, whatever yeah. they like. I'm not not being critical, but I'm, you know, I suppose I suppose it really comes down to what makes me laugh, and not much really. Um, but when I do laugh, you know, when when I you know when I do see com- comedy that I absolutely adore, like Tony Law mm, mm. or Paul Foot doing something a bit different, or or, or what does she call herself, Candy Gigi? Oh yes, yes, Gigi. she yeah, she I mean, won the Malcolm Hardy Award, didn't she? Yeah, mm. um, you know, really, really more insane than than Fred, and um, you know, really pushing it, and, and I think you know. Even if it all doesn't make me laugh, I think, Christ, this is good. Because it doesn't step over into that thing which you can see where it becomes so self-indulgent, so self-referential and so sort of um, anxious to be, quote, different mm. that it, it goes into a cul-de-sac and it doesn't, it doesn't relate. You know, you think, well, how would something that's, that's so, so bizarre as what some comedians do, how, how, does, it, how does it relate? And it, and it must do it. it must relate you know it must you know you see people when it works well and believe me when it doesn't work well it's vile and horrible mm-hmm. like I just said about that yeah. so I'm not bigging myself up but when it goes well it goes incredibly well mm-hmm. and when you get two or three people laughing or if you get and it's generally a woman I'm, and I am used to women laughing at me yeah. usually in bed <laughs> um um haha that's a bit trite <laughs> um and I, and I someone a few months ago she she was she was laughing so much and crying that she had to leave the room, and you could still hear her in the toilet, yeah. and it sort of brought and it wasn't a terrific gig actually, yeah. but I mean, in terms of the room and everything, and yeah. the, you know, number and the one, and it you know, 
it was, it was better than sex, really. Mm. Oh, no, I shouldn't... <laughs> you know, my wife won't hear this. She hates comedy. She really hates it with a passion. Does she um, come to see you? Very rarely. You know, it's fantastic. I don't know why I'm saying that, apart from showing off, really. Though it's, I guess it... Because it gets everyone on board and goes, oh, it's yes, okay. Yes, it does. That's it. Mm-hmm. Gives them permission. Mm. By the same token, if you get a hater in the audience, yeah. which I had a really good paid gig, and um, they were on my side. I, I was yeah. winning it. And mm-hmm. um, when she started hating me... And I couldn't see because there's a brightly lit thing in my face. I couldn't see the audience, which I love. I, I don't like yeah. seeing the audience. And I just like to be in the zone of my own. Mm. And it was weird. I could sort of think, oh, that's funny. There's this sort of whole thing around her. Yeah. You know, there's a patch of people there around her that are not, not laughing anymore. It's like a cancer of the audience, isn't it? And really? that side went sort of quiet on that side. I had a guy in the front. I can remember. Mm-hmm. I think it was one of the few black faces in there. And he was right in the front. Mm-hmm. He was laughing it. He was sort of on the point of tears, you know. He, yeah. he he really loved it. And he was getting all those around him going. But then that side of the room stopped because it became very uncomfortable right. between me and her. Yeah. And, of course, it's that thing that you re- you referred to earlier. I kind of broke character. They knew that I'd, I couldn't cope with it. Mm-mm-mm. There was no plan B. But because it, it's high energy. High energy, even though it's low energy. And it's always, you're always put, because you're, you're, you're imposing that, character on the on the on the audience and you're putting so much into it it's like a house of cards isn't it really yeah. and you're there just going to put the last yeah we're nearly we're near the end yeah. we're, and then someone just goes you know like, oh i've just blown my the, i've spent yeah. ages doing this yeah and it, it's so uh because it's because it, it does rather than it being oh it's fine we'll just make, build this other other thing here and we'll, we'll start again because you can't start again no. the, the momentum is completely it, it takes the wind out of the sails and it's going to be a, a lackluster thing for the end you know how tenuous that that grip on the audience is i'll tell you a footnote to that mm-hmm. story my friend uh comedy slut bob mm-hmm. he sort of calls calls myself he calls himself my manager mm-hmm. although he doesn't manage me but he kind of puts <laughs> me on the uh, you know i'm not the never word have a manager i never will be but he's a very good friend he's a very sensible guy and um he tells me like you know say thank you to the promoter and you know just don't ignore people if they're being saying nice things to you mm-hmm. so he kind of he does sort of manage me uh, a bit like that as someone managing a, a child really and um he was in the bar at the, at the break because i was on early I mean, the headline was Marcel Leconte, so it shows you what a good, yeah. good gig it was. It was in a proper theatre and everything. Mm. And I was getting paid. It was, it, was, it was absolutely devastatingly painful, the whole mm. thing. And he told me afterwards, when I'd calmed down a bit, he said, he said, I went to the bar and I was listening to that woman regaling her friends and said, and she was really happy that what she'd done, she was really ranting about me, real, real venom, oh, real well. toxic stuff. And she said, oh, yes, and I did the same thing to Harry Hill. Oh. Now... My, my name and Harry Hills will never be put in the same sentence ever again. All I'm saying is, that woman, I think, had got problems. Now, you know, Fred, Fred the character or persona's got problems, so, you know, it's difficult to be critical about that. Mm-hmm. But it just shows you what, how powerful, what you're dealing with is some very powerful, um, you know... Forces. Forces, collective mm-hmm. unconscious forces, mm-hmm. and um, you're dealing with them, you know. There's no such thing... As, as a stand-up comedian and an audience. It is only, there's no audience, you know, this is, sounds like David Brent now, doesn't it? But what I'm saying is, I'm paraphrasing um, Winnicott, who's a famous paediatrician and mm. um, child psychotherapist. He said, there's no such thing as a baby. 
mm-hmm. there's only a mother and a baby. And so, mm-hmm. oh, this is really, no, really pompous. No, what I'm say saying it. is, you know, it is a two-way thing. And yeah. you, you, you know, you get... It just means it's an isolation. Yeah, thing. yeah. So you get feedback from the audience. Mm-hmm. It's a sort of loops and you can get... You can get it going up and up, but you can mm. you can get, you can spiral down as well. Mm. And there's all sorts of things going on, you know, like a brightly lit room, mm. and you know where people perhaps know each other quite well and are reluctant to laugh, maybe because the comedy is, you know, very rude or something, mm. and you know, they don't want to be seen laughing in front of their friends. That's mm. not an original thought. I probably stole it off Logan Murray because I keep reading his book. It's like a comedy god to me. As you said, she you really touched an emotion in her. Yeah. Either 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 way, you know, you really you hit something, a nerve. It triggered something in her that didn't take it the right way you wanted, but it still triggered something. Yeah. You know, same with Harry Hill. She just, it's isn't it strange how he did the same thing? He another character comic as well. She just maybe just does not like character comedy. No, maybe it's uh, doesn't like clowns either. Maybe something you don't know, isn't maybe it? You don't what, know. You don't, what happens to these no. people? Maybe you get these awkward people in the audience though who just don't get it and they don't no. want to get it and they, they just don't don't want to get on board with it. I bet she didn't do that for Marcel Lucon, did she? No, they love Marcel Lucon. Oh, maybe because maybe he's better than me. By well, a lot large measure. <laughs> Marcel Lucon is a, is an archetype of a Frenchman, isn't he? Yes, it? that's right. And that is a very safe enough character to lock into. He does it great, I'm not I'm not oh, saying anything, but he's amazing. Yeah. But it's locked in, you're like, Okay, fine, this is safe, we can laugh at this. Whereas the, the character that you're doing is on the edge, you know, how people are hypersensitive about anything now mm. to do with the, if it's like mental health or, or racist. And they're, they're, they're ready to pounce, you know, they're mm. hypersensitive maybe. Maybe, but to be fair, it may also be that um, that could be true, but it may also be that it triggered something in her. Mm. I mean, I, I trained as a psychotherapist mm. and, and, I, and uh, qualified, but I don't practice mm. because I worked with a guy, one of my first clients and he had very very serious depression and I don't think I was well you know probably needed psychiatric help but anyway I worked with him over a period of about 20 weeks he got better mm-hmm. there was a lot of issues with his mother but then then don't we all have mm-hmm. and um but there was a lot of stuff in his background that resonated extraordinarily strongly with mine and over, over the period of time, he got better and I got worse. Mm. He used to talk about, you know, what if your therapist killed themselves and things. And anyway, the work mm. came to an end. He, he, he was a lot better, which was, you know, very satisfying and pleasing. Mm. And I'm um, not saying, you know, as a miracle cure, there never is for these things. You know, it's life. Yeah. But um, I sort of had a breakdown. Um, I had to sort of leave my course. I was going to do a master's mm-hmm. next. But... You see, that's an example of something that was triggered in me. So, you know, this woman getting really upset and angry, you know, perhaps it would trigger something that's so raw mm. within her or maybe someone that she knows that it, it was just unbearable for her. Mm. And, and I've had clubs that won't have me back. Um, Luton University won't have me back because they thought I was taking the piss out of mental health right. issues. There's a very, very good club, proper proper comedy club. You know what I mean, you know yeah. what that. yeah. I contacted them, I said, oh, do you remember me? I did a five-minute open spot a couple mm. of years, and, you know, could I come back and perhaps do a ten? Yeah. And they said, oh, yeah, we remember you, all right? We had long, long discussions afterwards. We'd mm. never, ever have you back. Oh. You upset one of my friends there, whose brother or something mm. or other. Even taking the performance out of it, it's like when you meet somebody and you don't get on with them for some reason, for, for no reason, you just go, I don't like that person. Yeah. Maybe you're seeing something in them 
that reflects your own personality. Yeah, isn't of course. It? It's, Mass- like- it's massive projection and mm. introjection and all sorts of complex stuff going on. Mm. Take a look at self before you uh, dismiss this person and go, maybe it's, I need to work on me. <laughs> that's, yeah, exactly. That's what I find. It's like people you see on Facebook. And what a, what a toxic and dangerous place that can mm. be. People projecting and oh, all sorts of stuff. You know, people that time after time say, oh, I'm in this pub and I'm surrounded by idiots and they're a bunch of morons and here's some more window lickers and mm. everything, everywhere they go and, and every place they're at, it's a very negative kind of experiencing of the world. And that mm. is how they genuinely see it, you know, and they see people, <laughs> not very old friend, you can see a young person in a hat or something and he's sort of, it will be, he'll be somehow offended that they're trying to, I don't know, just, and it's all the time. And I think to these people, and they're putting this stuff all out there, and I think, what is the common denominator in all these situations and all the, with all these people that you're encountering? 99% are total strangers who you know nothing about. What is the common factor in these situations? Mm. Well, it's you, isn't it? Mm. Exactly. It's you. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if you were the, if you know, I'm not a particularly, I'm a Buddhist, I'm not a very good one, as my wife constantly reminds me. I'm not. But, you know, imagine a, a sort of a very good religious person or um, very good secular person, doesn't mm. matter. And, and you, you see them, they go around life and they see the good in people and they see, they see sort of promise, you know, an extreme situation. What was his name? He was a psychotherapist. He wrote about fairy tales. And he was in, uh, I think he was in Auschwitz and survived it. Really? And even there... Even there, he was thinking about, you know, the beauty of fairy tales and mm. music and things. And you think, wow, mm. wow, there were people like that. Back to the comedy in an audience, you've got people with all this different baggage. They bring their own experiences to the, to the yeah. thing. Hopefully you're trying to connect with them exactly. through those different experiences. Yeah, and, and provide something of a cathartic experience for them. But with Brexit, you know, there's certain areas that voted in and out. Yeah. And I think that the problem with politics is it's it's a democracy and it's all trying to use one system to to help the entire country mm. and everyone has different needs and and it doesn't matter where you're from we've got different cultures different people we're all humans mm. sure but we've all got different upbringings mm. and therefore one rule isn't going to fit all of these people that live in one place mm. and there's always people going to be annoyed and and the last few like the last few years everyone's trying to give everyone equal rights and that is great equal rights for everyone but everyone's got different needs and we're all but we're all trying to be brainwashed into thinking we're all the same but we're not all the same we've all got different needs and wants and which all should be addressed but everyone's trying to blanket everything out by taking certain language out some of it's inflammatory there's a lot of it that needs to be really like addressed and, and looked at rather than just forgotten about you know but it's but the quickest thing is to generalize go no Blanket that out. We're not doing that, you know, because it's just causing problems. Yeah, but I think it's more complex than that. I think, you know, that's why, you know, you've got to distinguish between, you know, equal opportunities, which is basically saying these are the basic minimum rights and standards that people should expect from life, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and and have protected, you know, irrespective of of gender, ethnicity, disability, etc. But then beyond that, it's actually saying... And let's, 
you know, going beyond that sort of like what you call sort of um, putting it all on one level thing. Mm. But it's actually that's the basic standard, that's the hygiene standard, that's mm-hmm. that's the minimum. But then, you know, this is what diversity is or should be about. Mm. It's actually um, enjoying difference, you know, exactly. and, and, and embracing it and seeing what what people can give from their different different experiences. And yeah. you know, with comedy, you know, isn't it isn't it excellent that now You've got people like Francesca Martinez and mm-hmm. Tim Renko. Oh, what's that young guy? Oh, um, Joshua Robertson. Yeah, of course, Josh. I mean, it's bloody wonderful. And, I mean, they're comedians, stand-ups first and foremost. Mm. And, of course, you know, as, you know, they, they, they reference their disabilities in different ways. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I know a brilliant transgender comedian Shelley Bridgman and she has to reference the fact that she's transgender mm. then she goes on and does her stuff because they have to reference it and then move on you know it's great and this sounds terribly patronising doesn't it but I think with the mental you know people look at physical disability <laughs> Christ almighty I'm not saying it's easy but it's out there isn't it mm. if you've got a mental health background with mm. you know problems which I have three breakdowns one of them schizophrenic when I was 21 at university Panic attacks, you know, depression, you know, real de- clinical depression mm-hmm. I'm talking about here. And you try and do an act like Fred, who isn't, isn't presented like that. He really is just, you know, just a bit of a shit magnet, really, and a man mm. with, with a few sort of, few problems. Mm. But even so, um, but drawing on sort of, you know, more, more serious issues in a way mm. that are under the surface, it's not visible, is it? Um... Except for the fact that, as Fred, I dress up... Well, I'm not particularly smart anyway, but um, I do dress up in deliberately, you know, raggedy clothes with the buttons done up wrong and, you know, my hair all over the place. So I'm kind of signalling this man's a bit of a mess. Mm. But beyond that, you can't say... And also the mental health stuff which I'm referencing or that's kind of implicit in this or the emotional problem... Is coming from a. You can't stop things. Say, well, I just just explain to you that this is all coming from a real place, and you know, I'm not being dis. You know, <laughs> obviously, you can't do that. Mm. Although, interestingly, so what I'm saying is, you have to hope and respect the audience that they've got the kind of intellectual or emotional intelligence. Mm. Probably more emotional, isn't it? Mm. To understand at some level that this isn't. To quote, taking the piss. Yeah. Interestingly, saying about breaking character, I found as I've got more confident, because mm-hmm. you have to have a huge amount of confidence to do a character that's totally lacking in confidence, mm. is that I can break character, which I thought you could never do. Mm. Now, I don't mean in a kind of, you know, in a reactive way. Mm. I was finding myself ad-libbing, and then I'm doing a little voice. We know the people that do this, because it's not, not that original, now I think about it. But I kind of say, oh, stop... Stop, stop ad-libbing, Fred. And while doing it more in my own voice, you know that doesn't work. Like, that gets a huge laugh. Yeah. Now, people kind of know. I'm sort of giving a nod. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, please still go with Fred. Mm-hmm. But I'm just giving a nod. And even at the end sometimes, because I have this... Um, it's really, really crass, isn't it? I have this um, bandage with a, it's a trick mm. nail with blood on it. Yeah. And I tell that, I say, oh, that's, that's, that's a pretend anyway, and I'm really married. And you yeah. think... Oh, that's a bit, oh, that's risky, isn't it? But mm. kind of people, yeah, we're not idiots. We know it was mm. an act. And like heckling, people mm. always ask about heckling, don't they? Mm. Oh, you're the bravest person I know. 
<laughs> no, you're, I think you're the braver person than me. You're a firefighter. You're going to burning buildings mm. like my son. Oh, I could never do that. You're brave. Well, it's not really. It's a kind of a kind of idiocy, isn't it? Mm. And it's a kind of real showing off, and it's getting getting the love that your mother never gave you. Mm. Certainly, my mother never did. Anyway, with with hecklers, most of them. Again, this is Logan Murray, not me. Most yeah. of them want to join in, mm. and the most of them want to join in in a quite good way. So I've had to deal with that. I probably can't deal with, 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 with violent hectic, there's no plan B. Mm-hmm. And people can't deal with violence, really. And I'm talking about not physical, but, mm-hmm. you know. I say things like, oh, it's no good heckling me, I don't do audience participation, mm. I'm barely participating myself here. Mm. You know, things like that, it's very self-deprecatory. Mm. Or, oh, I'm being... He-. You know, it's yeah. very weak, it's deliberately weak, because Fred... And in defensive, but it's all part of the character, so you're doing it, and but you are diffusing that. Yeah, it's tai chi, isn't it? Really? And so, yeah, and sometimes, you know, and more often than not, it works because people think, oh, yeah, because you, you can't do audience reaction, this, this character, so there's no point in me yeah. carrying on. Just be, you're bending it. I will take that and use it and, and make me even more vulnerable, is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is yeah, it? yeah, but isn't there a difference between sort of the audience pitying yeah. the, the character? Mm-hmm. You know, but in a sort of playful kind of way, you know, going with it, oh God, he's even more pitiful than we thought, and laughing and thinking, oh, we shouldn't really be laughing, and real pity. Mm-hmm. I think I'd rather have real naked hatred mm-hmm. of me than pity. Mm-hmm. When you see people looking at you in the audience with pity, and, yeah. and they're, they're embarrassed for yeah. you, you know, and you think, just, I'd rather you hate me, yeah. spit yeah. at me, but don't feel sorry for me. That's it, because you can, you can be, uh, you can be strong in your res- resolve if they hate you, it's like, fine, no, no, no. Yeah, you I just carry on to the bitter end, don't you? That's it. And all you've walked away with is, you've, you've carried on, that's the only thing you can mm-hmm. do, that's the only thing you can, and again, it's not original, I'm, probably none of this is actually, you can probably find it all in other people's books, and blogs, whatever they are, um, <laughs> and the podcasts, which I never listen to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't I think anyone's anyone talking about. Sorry, I don't think anyone's going to heckle us, so we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> don't have to heckle yourself, yeah. uh, yeah, Fred. You know, it's like you're just saying that when someone heckles you, and you there it can be quite combative. That it, you've got to just remember where everyone's coming from, a different place, and that and that the only thing is that people bring their own experiences to the to yeah. gig, and you've got to be aware of those. Yeah. And if they do start to hate you, well, better than sympathy. I mean, well, of course, we just we don't want to be felt sorry for we want them to enjoy themselves and laugh at the character yeah. and take joy in the abstract world that you've presented to them yeah and yeah that's and it's just very difficult it's a character is, I think it's very difficult if you are a different character and, and you are an original character mm. pioneering that character because it's not an archetype or a, a just a, a well trodden trope of like I say maybe okay right a vicar or a priest or mm. something like this which which is a, there's quite a few of them out there you know there are. and it's really not really a character it's part of you it's a persona yeah it's a persona so it's 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 just more risk it's more risk you know you take you take it home with you i mean even when you first your first lot of gigs you know you kind of you still take the bad gigs home with you and you go oh i'll just rewrite that joke you're like how can i rewrite my personality (laughs) it's not gonna work oh god this is this is terrible i'm stuck with this so i as i'm saying earlier i do a bit about my name now and it's you know we're all trying to find something to to blame or our situation on, or or why we are like we are, you know, what the reason for that. That's why this referendum thing, and I, and I include mm. people that you know voted Leave, and and, and perhaps now are 
not so sure whether they should have done for different reasons. That was a very articulate one on Radio 5 Live this morning. Mm. And she she was, you know, incandescent with fury about mm. it. She said Boris lied and lied and lied. And she was very articulate, older older female. Um, and for what, so for whatever reasons, you know, and um, the problem is what, what we're experiencing now collectively and, it, and it's, it, 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 it's, you know, resonating around Europe mm. and the world and so forth, is a massive, massive loss, right? Mm -hmm. One way or another, we've lost. Whatever, you know, the world was like before the referendum, we're never going to recapture, mm -hmm. really. Whatever happens, however this pans out, you know, I think it could pan out really badly. Mm. Uh, and I feel extraordinarily, extraordinarily sad for younger people. And almost ashamed, really, even though I voted... Voted remain, but the problem is, and this is my point, and I do sometimes eventually get to it, is that this resonates extraordinarily strongly with all the past losses. This is what happens. This is why real full-blown grief is so painful. Mm. You know, every single loss resonates back. You know, right back to birth. And I know this is all very Freudian, but I'm I'm quite mm. orthodox Freudian really, mm -hmm. which is a bit boring and way out of favour at the moment. But you know But you know, it's a basic truism anyway, you know, one loss reminds us of another. Mm. You know, I tell you I've been dreaming about um the last two nights and I usually have really great dreams, really weird. Mm. But these have been very sort of realistic dreams. And they've been about my mum dying mm. of cancer, which she did do. They're incredibly realistic. They're set in all the real places. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they're incredibly sad. Mm. Now, you know, so this, I feel, has all been evoked by the referendum thing. It's stirred up a lot. That's just stirred up in me. And I can, I can analyse my own, you know, psychology and what's going on there. You know, oh, lucky for me. What, but what I'm saying is, if that's happening to me, I can only experience myself. It, mm -hmm. You know, certain people are experiencing all sorts of things for this referendum. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is being expressed sort of publicly, and it's unleashed a lot of stuff. And people are people are hurting. People are in denial. I'm in denial. I'm sort of grasping to this thing that people are saying. Well, I mean, my idea is, and I'm sort of contacting QCs about it. Mm -hmm. Is the referendum unlawful? Is it challengeable in law by judicial review? Because people were hoodwinked. But it's denial. We're in the very early stages of, of grief. And um, we were chatting about this before, weren't we, earlier, before the podcast. Are they, you know, the, 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 all the stages, you know, mm -hmm. the, the denial, the, the anger. And, and we're really in very, very early stages. And I, and I cannot see us reaching a sort of a reconciliation with it, a sort of coming to peace with it, or a sort of a new uh, adjustment to something that's extraordinarily diff different. Mm. And it's it's immensely it's immensely unsettling. You know, things are never going to be the same again, and people people are hurting, mm -hmm. and, and and I include, and people are worried, and I include everybody. You know, mm. there's certain people I'm not talking to at the moment mm. because I just cannot face those conversations. Because it, you know it's going to be be very painful, and 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 I'm angry, and I don't want that to come between relationships. Just the political views. I mean, everyone has a reason for voting in or out. Yeah. But the unfortunate thing is, there was the way that the, the was publicised and and politicised. 
there was more reasons to vote out than there was to stay in. Yeah. yeah and I'm not saying that, uh, that either one was better than the other, but I think that with the, the way that they politicised all of the, 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 reason, the pros and cons, it's no wonder that people voted out. Yeah, because, of course it is. Because they, 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 one, there was more reasons to go out. But, but when <laughs> the funny thing was that when Cameron resigned, it was like, why did everyone vote out? Well, look at what the, the media have been doing for the God yeah. knows how long. This is not just the last like six months oh, or, no, or no, a year. No, this is years. Oh, of, yeah. In de- it's, it's, it's been, it's it's been brilliant. It's been brilliant. brainwashed, isn't I mean, it? You know. It's like, and so you're thinking, he, he was surprised. Okay, right, so we've been herded with fear towards one direction for so long, mm. and then you're expecting us to go in the opposite direction when you want us to. All the lemmings are running off the cliff, and you're like, no, guys, let's go the other way, okay? Yeah, it's too late. Come back. It's too, yeah, exactly. <laughs> guys, don't go that way. We're going to go this way. This is much better. Yeah. No, no, it's all too late. It's, um, it's a great cartoon going around on social media, and it's um, someone jumping out of the plane, an aeroplane, and it's sort of indicated that that's a sort of metaphor for... Um, leaving Europe, you mm-hmm. know, so I can't remember how it's, the plane's labelled up, but it's clear that the person is leaving the EU, and this is a kind of pictorial image of that, and they're, 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 they're saying, do you, need a, do you need a parachute? And, and, he, and, he, and the guy's got a union flag. Mm-hmm. He says, no, I, I'm going to rely on this. That's going to save me. It's a brilliant Because oh, that is yeah. the level, yeah. you know, one of these people that I can't approach yet, they won't mm. listen to this anyway. Mm-hmm. Basically vote, voted out, you know, under the pressure mm. of all of that, because mm. a lot of it was sort of legitimised, you know. To put it mildly, and it's xenophobia, mm-hmm. you know, let's put it mildly. Mm. And it was more than that. And, and the people that I don't want to talk to at the moment, they will actually be gleeful and be saying things like the taxi driver said at Hastings. Mm. And if I was a, a better and stronger man, I would have got out the taxi. Mm. But I needed to get back to do my show. He was talking about, he was saying about how happy everyone was in the country. Well done, England. Now we can get rid of the P, A, you know, the rest of the word. Yeah. The derogatory word for people mm-hmm. from the Indian subcontinent. Mm-hmm. And cockroaches. Right. And and people feel that they have now got the licence to say these kind of things. Mm. That's it. There's a lot of people like, you know, we can make Britain Britain again. It's, it just feels Trump-esque, doesn't it, really? Yeah, it it's, does, yeah. It's, yeah and and I can remember Britain in the 1970s. You know, it was a quite a... It was a very um, sort of broken-down kind of place, you know? Mm. And it was hard. It was hard. You know, there was no... You know, my dad worked in a factory, my mum sort of cleaned and things, and we lived in a council house. And it was hard. It was really hard. And it was dirty. Everyone was dirty. And, you know, the smoking thing, you know, which people are beginning to forget about. Mm. Filth on the streets and trains and things. Mm. Racism, well, it's called racialism back then, wasn't it? Right. It's been forgotten. But it was... It was sort of embedded. It was it was sort of so much part and parcel of the society we lived in. I, I grew up with kids that, and I probably did it myself. You know these jokes. You know it's just part and parcel of everyday life. And I and I grew up in a, a white, you know, rural village, and it was all part and parcel mm. of it. You know, and you saw it on television with comedians. You know, I think the, the, the default of growing up in that time, if you were white British, and my mum's half Jewish. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't need to go far back to find Irish, etc., 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 like everybody. Mm. And the default was sort of racism. And when I sort of became 11 and 12 and started not to become racist, mm-hmm. 
I was seen as some kind of weird um, mm. maverick. And even even in more recent years, I mean, I'm not saying it's all got better and gone away, you know, pub that I know and I used to love, mm. you know, even there I'm like the token uh, maverick liberal. Mm. Oh, you can't say those kind of jokes in front of P, because that's my right. real name. Mm-hmm. And there were there were notices on on people's windows, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. You know, it wasn't some kind of golden land, mm-hmm. you know, that, and that, you know, people, you know, the, the health service, you know, it's improved so much. The fear mongering that's been going on has created this. They didn't realise how volatile that the fear that they were injecting into people's minds was going to poison the, well, the unity of, of the European Union. Oh. And and so it was like, well, and now they can't, they're, they're going to have a problem getting rid of it now because they're like, OK, right, we're cut off. And so now we can really work on, you know, work on our uh, our, our, our issues with other races and things yeah. like that. That's, what that's the, well, the people that, are, that think that anyway, it's just... It's quite dangerous, really, isn't it? They're like, oh. okay, well, they think that this is the the start of something that is going to cure all their uh, their their ills and their other problems with other cultures and stuff. But oh. it's not. It's not that. They've, and that's been injected into into them saying this is the immigrants. So, okay, well, we're all immigrants, so that's the problem, oh. you know. And they don't see that. Well, my oldest friend, one of my oldest friends, you know, that sort of small circle, you know, mm. real friends, go back to primary school. His mum's German mm-hmm. and his dad was Polish. Well, his mum died recently, a very old lady. She she escaped from um, Bohemia, which Hitler mar- marched into, mm-hmm. you know, what was then Czechoslovakia. And she, she, she escaped Bohemia when the Red Army marched in, mm-hmm. in 1945, with her sister. Mm. Got knocked up by this Polish guy. I mean, mm. the marriage didn't last longer. His dad, the Polish guy was very prescient he he saw this coming you know mm. and he was he, he was an ambulance driver he joined the unions he he supported harold wilson he was very upset about rivers of blood speech so a polish mm. guy mm. the mum was an unreconstructed nazi to her dying day and i don't use that word in a sort of light sense she was and i mentioned this at um i did a speech for my friend at, what was that for? 60th birthday, someone could just speak. So I stood up and did 15 minute set. Mm. It wasn't a set, I just, it was, it was really good. I really mm. enjoyed it. I enjoy showing off. I'm a big show off. Mm. And, and I started to say, doing all this stuff about, you know, his mum being, and his sister was there over from, from, from France. She's married to a Frenchman. You know, about his mum being, being a Nazi and all this sort of thing. And you know what? Liz approached me afterwards and said, I'm so pleased you said that. She said, I never realised. She said, of course I did realise. Now, my point is, my friend's mum spoke, John said, all her life about people who were the other, mm. like, in a similar way as the way people feel they've, or certain people feel they've now got licence to do. Mm. When you see comedians, people that you love, mm-hmm. in a quite healthy way, Young, black, Asian, and Muslim, and etc. etc. Mm-hmm. And I expect it's going to happen to people. I forget the acronym LBGT, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Saying, "Can we travel together? Can we form some kind of group to protect ourselves?" Mm. You think, shit. And I know it's you know I don't want to get hysterical and hyperbolic about it and mm. start making analogies with the third right. But you know, there's some very very nasty forces unleashed. Mm. Bringing it back to the comedy, yeah. which, you know, is a great way of sort of just sticking your head in the sand. 
I'm hoping out of this, one one type of comedy that I absolutely adore and would never, ever attempt in a million years, because mm. I think this really is the bravest, is, 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 is sort of satire, you know. And there is a bit of a resurgence, isn't there? Chris Coltrane, Josie Long, mm-hmm. um, a young guy I know yep. called Elliot Wengler, very mm. much, you know, at the beginning mm-hmm. stage, but very clever, very political. Mm-hmm. And... You know, like to the, like back to the good old days of um, that was the week that was and mm. Frost and you know the golden age of satire. Will Franken, mm-hmm. you know, different political perspective, mm. but you know, still got something very interesting to to say and to listen to. Mm. Maybe that's a, a silver lining. It's going to give us an axe to grind, you know. Eighties comedy as well. Mm-hmm. Ben Elton when mm. it was Ben Elton, you know, yeah, about Mrs. Thatch and so forth. But you find that you're saying you're a you're a show off, right? Total extrovert. But you're but at home and you're introvert. an introvert. Yeah, I'm very needy. I need love. Yeah, really, mm-hmm. I need love, and that's why I do it. And um, I want people to love me. That's you know I'm not doing it for the money because mm. I don't get paid much when I do get paid, and I spend much more on it than I can afford. Mm. But you know what's the alternative? Am I going to start an allotment or? Um, I think the alternative for me would probably to drink myself to death, really. You know, what what do you do? It's an existential thing, isn't it? Mm. What are you going to do with your life? Mm. You know? Yeah. I've left it too late to be to become anything successful. Although, you know, if I'm honest, I would like... I would like a bit of... I mean, my hope is, my ambition is... I mean, I get a lot of pleasure vicariously mm-hmm. from younger people that I'm seeing being very successful, like Miranda Kane, mm. Eureka Katani, mm-hmm. Jolly Bow... Mm. Uh, you know, Josh, who I've only mm-hmm. met once or twice. You know, people that you know are going to be... And I get pleasure from that, but I also get pleasure in a purely selfish, non-altruistic way mm. from, you know, like I did a little bit... I, I did a... Miranda's now recording a, um, a, st- um, a sitcom for radio. Great. Called Slaying Away, based on her experience as a, as a sex worker. Mm. And she wrote a little part for me. I mean, partly I suspect because she 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 likes me, but you know she would have only done it if if she thought I was good enough to do mm-hmm. it. There's a small part in that, mm. and I, I'll get a huge buzz from hearing that if it. I don't know why it's being broadcast, and I will, and, and it will it will rub my ego. You know, what's the name of it? Slaving away. Slaving away. Right. Great. And it's bloody funny, mm. and she's got some immensely talented and quite well known, mm. very well known people in it. It's, it's a great ego boost, mm, you know. Of and I am in it. I am in it for that, really, as well. But it, it's a kind of um, it gives a purpose, you know. Like a lot of comedians, you know. And then, again, it's another cliche, but a lot of comedians have got serious emotional, stroke, mental health problems. Mm. Got a lot of needs. Got a lot of quotes issues and such. And I and I, you know, I I do suffer from depression. Quite badly, and I've been treated for it for many, many years. But do you know, however shit, even now about the the referendum, and I'm really, really, really hacked off and upset about it. Mm. I'm sort of kind of thinking, when's my next gig? Yeah, um, and I've got my little diary here, which mm. I keep losing. Uh, and when when it approaches, I'll be sort of thinking, you know, I'm doing a double act thing. You know, Bonja, our good yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing a double thing. Well, we're splitting an hour. Mm. The Croydon Comedy Festival. Great. Friday the 22nd, Project B, 7.45pm, called Splitting Into The Wind. Oh, yeah? Because we're both sort of schizo characters, mm. so that's, um, I thought it's quite a clever title. Um, it gives me, I think, 
Christ, I've got something to look forward to, yeah. you know? And That's I'm going to get a buzz. Mm-hmm. It's probably what people get from hard drugs, mm-hmm. which I've never done. Uh, I've never done soft drugs. I just do beer. Having a connection with a, a room full of people is an amazing rush, isn't it, really? It is. And if you're And if you're a very introverted person anyway, yeah. it's going to be even more so. Yeah. And I think that the more you go through the, the, the mill of comedy, you become more introverted anyway because you're... you're obsessed with it you mm. know and you have other stuff to do in your life as well mm. and then the rest of the stuff is pushed out so mm. it just becomes ho- hopefully you know your your family a, a little bit and then mm. comedy just sort of seems to eat into that time as well it does. all comics have a tendency to be obsessive anyway yeah and then it's like as because it's like a drug anyway a massive yeah. addiction you you're constantly having to feed it so you you just end up if you don't have mental problems or you have a slight tendency towards it you're becoming isolated and borderline agoraphobic. So maybe when you do go on stage mm. and then you try to come off stage and people try to talk to you, it's, it's a little bit more jarring, you know? Because I was thinking about that. We spoke about it earlier before the podcast. Mm. You know, uh, talking about impersonating these emotions like mm. anger, like like being a bit of an idiot mm. or being an angry person, being a prejudiced person. Mm-hmm. You know, and audiences can tell the difference between the real emotion and, and, and an act. You know, they, they know what it is. And, mm. and as soon as you, you knew saying about tipping over from uh, faux anger, mm. manufactured anger into real, mm-hmm. is it? Because yeah. when you start to manufacture an emotion in yourself, you know, again, it's on these like sort of pseudy self-help things, mm. isn't it? Oh, if you're feeling sad, smile. And mm. if you start smiling, you feel happy. You know, you know, it's it's all it's all simple stuff, really. And if you start to think angry, angry, quotes, you know, as, as a, a kind of mode of thought, it must be incredibly hard to get out of it. Mm. I found that some, sometimes people, if they're emceeing or something, they'll I'll, I'll sit back in the audience. And this is a very small room. You're just trying some stuff out in, mm. and they'll try and talk to you, and you're still in the mode. I can't communicate now. There's nothing that's going to come out of my mouth that's going to be good <laughs> right in a second. Really need to take yourself off stage, go away, splash for water in your face, smile. <laughs> you yeah. yeah. These things, obvious things, isn't it? Yeah. Go, all right. But then, you know, yourself, you, you enjoy, if you're feeling something, mm. you're feeling it. And so you're like, oh, great, I've got it. I'm actually I've feeling, feeling something. I have a feeling today. That's, I'm actually feeling angry. I'm passionate about something. I might not have felt something that strongly for days. Mm. And, and now it's all happening. So, and then you, so you enjoy the rage or you enjoy the, the misery, the wallowing yeah. and, and the, oh God, the depression. And you go, oh, fantastic. This is it. This is it. I'm safe here because I know this. It this is, is a very safe space, you. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Which, is, yeah. which is a remarkable thing. It's like I was saying, having the spotlight in my face, which actually, when you when you listen back to that, you think, well, that's a contradiction because you said you couldn't see anybody mm. and then you were pointing out people that you could see. Mm. But I do like it. I, I could see him if I sort of... I feel like I should explain that. I could yeah. see him if I kind of really looked. Yeah. But with a, I like it just being in the zone, the spotlight in my face. And that sounds weird, but when it's going well, it, it, it feels incredibly safe. You mm-hmm. know? It's, it feels really safe. Yeah. I used to go down to my pub when I had one of my breakdowns and I couldn't drink for a year. And people used to say to me, how on earth? Because it's a real hard drinking pub, you know, a proper <clears> pub. <throat> and uh, how can you come in here and drink Diet Coke or something? Mm-hmm. And I said, I just like being here. I feel safe. Mm-hmm. They, I don't know if they got it or not, really. But it's one of the few places, and my home, obviously, mm. where I felt safe. Mm. And I couldn't explain what I mean by safe. Mm-hmm. 
So when people heckle you in your safe place, it's like, this is my safe place, you don't understand. Why? You're messing this up. You're messing up my safe place. (laughs) This is my happy time. (laughs) It's an interesting dynamic mentally. Isn't it for the for mm. each of those high energy emotions? And I think that's where the danger comes of you know alcoholism and drug abuse being mm. quite quite so high in, in comedy. It certainly was historically. I think mm. people have got a more professional approach to it now. Mm. Um, in fact, it's sort of almost a bit puritanical. But I will have a pint before I go on if I want mm. to because I'm a grown up. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't. But I certainly don't drink a lot. But I tell you when I do feel like drinking, it's when I come off. Mm. Not when it's gone badly. Mm. And like I've explained, it goes horrendously badly sometimes, um, horrifically. Mm. But when it goes well, it does go well, mm. I've got to be honest. And the temptation to drink mm. is extraordinarily high. And, mm. I, and I do have to resist it. And I don't know what that's about. It's partly the, the buzz is so, I think it's probably a, a chemical thing. You know, you've got all these endorphins and adrenaline and you're on a high and you don't want to stop. Mm. Um, and I have to do something. If I come home, if I don't, if I don't have a few beers, because I don't drive, you see, so exactly. that's a kind of advantage and a disadvantage. Mm. I often get stranded in places. Mm-hmm. So I've slept in gardens mm. and nearly been arrested. But mm-hmm. I come home now and I, you know, however amount I'm tired, I will just watch crap on TV for an hour or two and eat sweets. Have you... Notice in yourself that since doing comedy, you've become more obsessive in other things as well, or just no. the comedy. No, what what like? Like, I mean, I I think I have a tendency to like I've got say I have to finish everything right. That's my thing, you know. I have to finish it. Doesn't matter what it is. Mm. I have to I have to do it to the end. So like this, the, yeah, podcast. I've got to say. I really can't go on anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't like that. I'm really making me very anxious. <laughs> I'm terrible for it. I really am. Really? Uh, but I'm, I'm just—it's one of my—it's one of my things. It's like my, my my girlfriend. She's always like winter. Like you know, you just need to just have a break, just relax, just do do this thing here. And it's like I don't I know. I must finish everything, and like I have a list, and I need to try and do it. But I'm getting better at, at kind of allowing. You like that with a book? So you start a book? Yes. Like Four Colts Pendulum, it, it, and you would stick with it to the end. I can't give up on it. I'm like at the moment. Uh, are, are you in therapy at all? No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was something in the past that you couldn't finish. And um, maybe to find out what that was. Something unresolved there. I think there's a few things. Yeah, you like you buy books, and I've like I had like a, a like maybe six, seven books, and they start to pile up, and people are giving me books as well. And I'm like, right, I'm going to read all. The, I read all the books. But I've got one book left. Which is the Guinness Encyclopedia, which I'm going to read. I'm going to read that. That's one of the, on, on my on my list. God, I thought um, I was um, messed up. Um, <laughs> so, and, and, and it's it's an old version as well. It's an old version. Yeah. It's, I think it's 1999. But I think it's my stepfather. He read that book, right? Oh. So I want to. I, he, I read all the books that he gave me. So I want to read that book as well. Right. I don't know how much knowledge I'm going to glean from it, but I just no. it's one of those. It's the last book I think that I need to read. So he um, read it. So you've got to exactly. Yeah, mm. that's it. What do you think? that's all about um approval mm. Mm, definitely but he's not alive anymore so it doesn't, no, make, doesn't, any, ma- you know. doesn't make any difference mm, it's interesting yeah. same with uh, people you know shows people tell you to watch i'm like right okay i've got a list and uh, now fred you should see the list it's a massive list mm. i've got five left i'm nearly there i don't know what, i'm not gonna put anything else on it now but i'm nearly there you know it's the the end of that is in sight but it, what if you had a kind of bucket list and you were on your deathbed and you've got two more things to do that would, that would make for a very well, painful. And if I was on my deathbed, 
It wouldn't kill me, would it? It wouldn't be the list that killed me. <laughs> no, no, but it could make you feel very uncomfortable, couldn't it? If it's beyond my control, oh. that's okay. Yeah. If, if, like, if I kind of go, oh, well, I can't do it now. Ah, it's uh, kind of another rule that you've yeah. made for yourself. See, because yeah. I've got OCD as well. Well, who hasn't? Mm. And I've had it since university. And it sometimes gets out of control. But mm. I kind of, I kind of, um, is it, my wife has never ever mentioned it. So I must have it under pretty good control. But mm. I think she knows I have it. And it's touching things and it's numbers and that. But yeah. I have this self-imposed rule, which is part of it. I've in, in, enmeshed it in, in the OCD as mm. part of the rule. And the rule is that you can't do any of your OCD things like, I do this. Right, right? yeah. And I've got to do that now. Yeah. I don't do anything like that in front of anyone because they could think I was crazy, you know? Right. Or say, 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 I've got a thing about three, and so it could be about looking at something three times. I mm. couldn't do it with a person. Yeah. Because that would be going beyond what's... So I can do, you know, I could do sort of like that. Yeah. T- tap me thing three times. Yeah. So you, you, you sort of, you kind of work with it to control it. Uh, like, yeah, the, the thing is, I, 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 what I do is I... If if I if I can't do it through no fault of my own, that is okay. I've got okay, it's fine. But yeah. before I, that's in the last few years, I've been with my girlfriend because she yeah. kind of look when she needs to just sort this out. Because yeah. I was getting because I get I get quite angry, but not di- not directed at her. I just be like I'm just sitting there in, in this fog, you know, mm. just of anger because I've been thwarted in the thing that I needed to do mm. um, because that was what made me who I was. Me, I, I get things done. Mm. Doesn't matter what it is, I, I'm going to finish it. Mm. You know, and then the other list of that list you're saying, the bucket list. I've done all the things I wanted to do on my bucket list. As I say, my girlfriend has kind of got me into that mode of going, look, you're okay, you can't do it now. Like, and it's, I think it's getting older as well. Yeah, yeah. Because what, what, what it is, is you're fearing something, and you're fear, there is a fear, it's an unconscious fear, and so you're protecting yourself mm. against it. It's, um, it's called a sort of manic. Yeah. defence against um, depressive anxiety. So you're kind of, um, you're defending yourself. These things work. That's the problem with all mm-hmm. these things, mm-hmm. that they work. They have a kind of secondary benefit. They have a lot of downside. To, you know, depression obviously does, but they are protecting you against something. And it's generally a thought or an idea, mm-hmm. and it's something that's unthinkable. So you don't think it. I mean, it's literally unthinkable. Mm-hmm. So it's something in your past that... You, the, the fear is of something actually that's already happened. It's too late. That thing has happened, but it's the fear of it. And and by playing out these rituals, mm. you, you you can get it right. It, it's why you know um, it will come right this time. But of course, it never does. Um, and it's like breakdown. So a lot of people have a terrible fear of breakdown. Mm. If they have got this terrible, I mean, neurotic fear of breakdown, they're real, real anxiety about it. That means it's already happened, and it mm. may have happened. There's been some stoppage in, in, in moving forward. It, it may have been with the care of between the mother and the baby. There was a there was a gap between, you know, the mother being there and not being there, mm. the, you know, uh, and being fed and not being fed. Mm. Something broke. Something happened there. There was a, a break down. That's what it was. And then anything like you know, I was talking about um, grief mm. and loss. Anything that reminds you of that original trauma resonates. And if you if you can, this is the trick, and, and I've been in therapy for many, many years, been mm-hmm. with Jungians and Freudians and even a bit of CBT, mm-hmm. um, and, and I still haven't resolved it. You know, it's, there's no magic. I'm not saying all this stuff, you know, is any magic magic wand. Mm-hmm. But 
that's what it's all about, I think. A lot of people disagree with me very strongly. I think it, personally, I, I think that I, I read a lot of uh, philosophy and stuff as well, uh, you know, like Lao Tzu and like a, the art of war, you know, lots of things, you know, that lots of people have read as well, mm-hmm. but also read Michael de Montague and like his thoughts on, on the world and like some things like he read a book and every time you pick up a book, it's like you reading it for the first time because you are a different person every time you come to that book, mm. that sort of thing. It's, mm. uh, but it's, it, but it, he, he was a light in, I think it was 17 or 1600s. And he still thought the same as, you know, the way we think now. And it's like, it's nice to connect that people are, it's not new. It's all the same. We're all kind of just trying to work out what is going on. It hasn't really changed or altered that much. We're still kind of a little bit lost. But I think that for me with the finishing stuff, is a fear of failure. Mm. That's what I think it is for me. Uh, that is that is the fear mm. that I won't get it. The, this next thing will be the cure to make me impervious to failure, but it won't. Mm. But it's that chasing, chasing that uh, the inf- the knowledge or the information that I'm, I feel that I might be lacking is mm. what it is. So, uh, Fred, when your next gig is in Croydon Comedy Festival, is that right? Well remembered. Friday the 22nd, a place called Plan B. Friday the 22nd. Which is ironical, because we were talking about having no Plan B. Plan B. There's no Plan B. Which is a kind of metaphor for the world we're in, isn't it? Um, 7.45, splitting in, splitting into the wind. Splitting into the wind, 7.45. A bonjo. A bonjo. Present a bonjo. Present a bonjo. And Fred Forenzi yeah. for the Croydon Comedy Festival. Yeah. And the name of the show again is Splitting Into the Wind. Yeah. Oh, no, before that... Oh, got another one. I'm doing, um... How could I forget? I'm running a comedy tent at Citadel Festival in London. Whereabouts? Victoria Park. Victoria Park. Sunday the 17th. And we've got, um... I've got, um... Dane Baptiste headlining. Oh, great. And I've got... Sajida Kershi, Yuriko Katani... Mm. Filthy Phil Alexander. I wish I hadn't started naming everyone because I can't remember everyone now. Well, you see the on the yeah, it's all on the website. Yeah, it's uh, Underbelly also got a tent, so it's totally separate from that. This mm-hmm. is Citadel Presents Comedy. Right. So I'm there. Brilliant. Citadel Presents Comedy, and when is that? That's part of the Citadel. I mean, Citadel is a big music and performance. Sigur mm. Ross, Icelandic group, mm-hmm. are headlining. It's a brilliant festival. Um, mm-hmm. It's run by the people who run Wilderness Festival, which I've also got a comedy tent at. Mm. And um, Sarah Pascoe's headlining that, although I didn't get at her, they got her. Mm. And I got Alfie Moore. Mm-hmm. And for both of those, I've got um, Ro- Ronnie Rigsby. Mm. Do you know Ronnie Rigsby? No. He's, he's, the, he's the creation of Logan Murray. He's the, oh, right, yeah. The, yeah, he does. Uh, he's brilliant MC and mm-hmm. fabulous character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ronnie Bigsby. Right. I'm seeing both. That'd be great. That's yeah, how could I forget? Wilderness is in um, August. But anyway. Wilderness well, in August. Yeah. Oh, well, Fred, thanks for coming on the show. I uh, really right. enjoyed it. We, we kind of we went deep and... Uh, we did. It was a bit of a good. therapy session. No, and, uh, you know, I'll be invoicing you later. Well, you can invoice me. <laughs> we'll break even. We'll break even. I'll try and time it. See how many minutes we'll do for each of us. Right? Yeah, okay. If you but, could, break yeah, it down. That'd be nice. Uh, but thanks for coming on the show. That's right. I enjoyed it. As much as I enjoyed anything, really. Like, <laughs> it's, it's all meaningless. And that was Fred Forenzi on episode 9. I love talking to Fred. We talked enough for two podcasts. Fred is honest, 
open, loves his comedy, a great act. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, like it, share it, tell your friends. Go see him live. It's definitely something that you won't have seen before. The next episode is episode 10 with the very bearded, the mostly musical, the incredibly prolific Mr. Filthy Phil Alexander. He's a very funny guy. Some people say musical comedy is cheating, but hey, you know what, right? He does it just for the applause. I really enjoy talking to him. Uh, if you want to donate to the podcast, you can find us on Patreon. Just go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast and donate as little or as much as you want. But if you can't donate and you want to kick something back to us, just go onto Podbean or iTunes, leave us a nice review, or even share it with your friends. We're on Twitter at The Comedy Defect. I'm on Twitter at Winter Phonander. If you want to come see me live, you can see my gig dates on the website, which is winterphonander.com for all of my live stand-up gig dates. Now, I'm taking some time off between the 28th of August until the 13th of September because I'm getting married. But I say, we've got episode 10 coming up with Mr. Filthy Phil Alexander. You're going to love that. Phil's a great guy, very funny comic. And that's all from us. And we'll see you next time on the Comedy Defect Podcast. (laughs) 